internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shabbats, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover a golden god who can reach the side of the ocean floor. Today is part two of my discussion of the decline of Western art with Brendan Hurd, uh, head of Aureus Press and author of Decline and Fall of Western Art. Brendan, thanks a lot for coming back, especially at such short notice. Um, we both felt the conversation was unfinished at the end of our last episode, and you were like, yeah, I'll come back as soon as you want me to. So this is great to follow up like this. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me back. And yes, we've got more to say. Now, listen, I want to get right into it. Um, so the listener knows here it's 4, 4 a.m. where I am because, uh, Brendan, you're in the U.K.? Ireland. Ireland, yes. So to 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 do episodes with my Euro bros, I have to get up early. Sometimes it's tough to uh, to schedule. So but this is great. I'm happy to do it. Now, I don't think I don't think we shilled your um, age on. Uh, science fiction publication until the very end of the last episode so let's start with that i want you to shill that a little bit and then uh, we'll we'll pick it up right where we left off last time oh yeah so yeah somewhere along the line i, I got tired of whining about art and thought i you know i want i am an artist i set out to be an artist i'm sort of a creative person i would say although i do say you shouldn't really trust people who claim to be artists so i don't like to say that because usually just about everybody has that in them. And people nowadays who say, I'm an artist, usually just start doing junk. And like you look at their stuff and it's like, oh, my God. So it's you have to be humble about it. If you a person who's the more the prouder and more confident the the pronunciate the announcement that I'm an artist, you hear generally the worst the art, I find. And people who are it's like anybody who does anything to a high degree when they get really into it, you know, to be to reach the high degree, you have to be you have to have doubt and you have to work. And work at work at all the angles that you think are weak and the more doubting the person probably the, the better their vocation so sorry I, I just got derailed even just trying to begin <laughs> i almost forgot what i'm talking about oh yeah so i decided i wanted to make my own art and there's several reasons why i chose science fiction it's weird a lot of people do it i see a lot of people saying oh i'm going to make, write a fantasy science fiction book because a lot of people love it and remember it fondly and it is uh, a great wealth, a great genre for ideas and untapped ideas and new things you can do and create. And um, I, like I do illustration and painting and stuff as well, but you can get reach more people and I think even sell more stuff in a mass sense uh, through writing and selling books. I thought it was, I've already done one book. And so what what will I do? That's more like fiction. I basically wanted to create art instead of whining about art. So. I chose science fiction and I was very disturbed by the state of say all the classic magazines, books, compilations and sci-fi that I used to so love and still do um, in the, from the classic era that have all gone woke. Yeah. I, I, I didn't intend to interrupt you, but you, since you said that I have to interject that I just mm -hmm. saw a, uh, a quote from the, the 
head of Wizards of the Coast. You remember Wizards of the Coast and they used to be TSR, they put out D and D. Oh yeah. Oh it's yeah, it's a travesty. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. What was it? So, White man uh, uh, well Black you you finish your thought and I'll read the quote directly. Right. Yeah, so, and I saw, even then, even worse than I realized, when I looked at all the classic publications, like, you know, Tor and all these, and like uh, the Nebula Awards and everything, scanned through their Twitters and their websites, all I saw was really blue-haired chicks and, uh, you know, people like this being published, where all their authors, pretty much all of them. This is a genre that, in my youth, that women wouldn't uh, go near with a 10-foot pole. You know, they'd be laughing at you. It was like, you know, prog rock and science fiction was like something they just like snorted and just began laughing and ran away like you're right so now it's all women somehow and you know most of it's harry potterized and stories about relationships and lesbians and things and you know i was just sickened by the state of this and i thought i must i knew i had it in me to create stories i really i don't want to be boastful but i think i can i have a great wealth of creativity in that sense of making fictional stories and like, especially in a short story format, I know I can do it myself. And that's why I, in every one, I write like several of the stories just cause I got, actually got to get it out of me and, and I love it. So as well as taking submissions from other people and generally trying to revive that art in which has been derailed and bring it back uh, in a more palatable and proper format, which I think I am doing. And I'm on issue five. And yeah, it's good. I mean, everybody, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about it. <laughs> they seem, it seems to be going over well, slowly growing. And so I'm going to keep at it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I chose, yeah. So that, that's it. That's basically, I basically wanted to make my own art. And this, this is the path I chose. So some people say, so you and I understand this thing where some people think that's lowbrow and you're doing basically pulp fiction. You know, we're not, why, why aren't you trying to be, you know, I wrote this book about fine art. Why aren't you trying to be Rembrandt and all this? But like, I, there's a two part angle to that in that I don't think it's lowbrow. I think it's very important. It's a misunderstood and since maligned kind of, that people think of things like this, like old, the old analog magazines or heavy metal and all these ones. I mean, maybe heavy metal is more juvenile, but like they try to put a juvenile label on it. Like it's sort of immature or not high advanced fine art, but really, uh, it is, and you can see how it plays out later in modern culture. In that, it's still the resource for a lot of like big movies and epic stories and things. It's like a continuation or an evolving of myth. In fact, um, yeah, I agree yeah. completely. I think science fiction is the myth of uh, the modern era, both the the space age and the digital age. And you know yeah. these th- these things you're talking about were my bread and butter growing up. Uh, Wizard magazine, heavy metal magazine, comic books. Obviously, I was talking in another episode once about how when I was really little, like eight years old, you know, I was in my neighborhood and I didn't really have access to anybody except the kids, you know, r- right next door. Yeah, and uh, the internet didn't exist. And I didn't yeah. know what D&D was at the time, but I would see the strategy guides at the bookstore. So I would just make my parents buy them for me because I thought they were just books and I would just read the campaigns. <laughs> and I still to this day have never actually played D&D. But, <laughs> but when I was a little kid, you know, I um, 
I would read them like like books, and that got me into reading TSR books. Oh, the, the artwork, the artwork too. I would buy them just for the covers. Uh, oh well, that's what drew me in. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. what drew me in. So, so stay stay tuned for a Astro Flight Simulation advertisement in uh, the upcoming Age on Print magazine. And friend of the show, Dave Martell, I believe, has been published in Age on. Correct? He has, yeah. And there's always an ad for Biz Archives in there too. You'll be alongside that and whatever. I I I throw in little ads. The first issue, I kind of like made up ads. No, I didn't. I had one or two ads or ads for myself, but I wanted it all in like a retro style, like you would find in like a '70s analog or any of the old magazines, right? The ads were just there to like create the effect, like a retro effect. But now, now I have actual advertising in it as well, which is cool. But yeah, so I hopefully hopefully it keeps going. And you know, whatever you said about Heavy Metal Magazine, Heavy, Heavy Metal Magazine is remembered very well. And... It is, but I, I, I like even my very old copies I have, and it is no, I, I shouldn't badmouth it. Yeah, well, I, was... I'm, I'm not saying you're bad mouthing it necessarily, but I think you were talking about the kind of the reputation it has at the culture at large. Like mm. people who would like Ajon respect Heavy Metal is what I'm is yeah. all I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. I do. I think the original metal Hurlant was a bit better, even though it's on French. And some of the best con- contributors to heavy metal were some of those guys. Something, something about France or French guys in the seventies and eighties, and their science fiction. Oh yeah, M- Mobius. It was yeah, all that. And you know, you know, there's there was, there was a, several of them, and it was just amazing. Not just the art, but the stories too. It was phenomenal. I'm a big fan of that. But yeah, no, heavy metal is. But like, I look at it now, and there's some kind of. No, I mean it's great. I shouldn't and won't complain about. It, but I can see where they get uh, gets a juvenile label when there's like tons of, there is tons of titties and sex. And I don't yeah, have big a, t- yeah, I love yeah, that yeah. Well, but, you know, I got you. you know, yeah, yeah. So it's easier to criticize maybe than some of the others. Where like uh, like it's a tradition going back to weird tales and things that spawned like all our our great myth makers from the 20th century, Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard and stuff like that. Right? They're all in that pulp tradition, so it's not to be taken lightly. And I take the story seriously, the ones I write and the ones I try to publish. I All think right. it's good. Well, Anyways, that's it. Yeah. That's AG Unplugged. <laughs> yeah, it, and and definitely check it out. What you and Biz Archives doing are very unique to a lot of the uh, highbrow, attempted highbrow intellectual stuff going on on the right. And every, everybody, um, if you like immerse yourself into like right-wing online culture too much, it starts to like drag you down it's you know it's there's nobody's like having fun and that's like i mean obviously like the memes the memes and the trolling that's fun but if you really start to like dig down and like listen to the content being produced like people aren't having enough fun speaking of which we're about to get extremely technical on art but uh i wanted to i wanted to plug that now just just to to close this segment of the show because it really has nothing to do with what i brought you here to talk about today right uh, I just want to read quickly if if you don't pay attention to Dungeons and Dragons culture, because I know a lot of people like peripherally think it's cool sci fi D&D culture or peripherally like like what that scene has going on, but don't really know anything about it. Um, we're here to tell you that it is being completely obliterated by wokeness uh, as much or more as any other. You know, the the average person is aware of uh, J.K. Rowling and, and how she kind of took a turn and she's now being called turf. And it's a really interesting story. I mean, I'm really interested in her story because her books contributed quite a lot to the degeneracy and the degenerate culture going on. 
and yeah. she's like pissed about it. And it's like a Jack Kerouac arc because he was completely disgusted well, by the hippies. Yeah, but he's smarter he, than her. Yeah, I think he's smarter than oh, her. Oh, I'm, I'm not, not saying she's, I'm not saying she's on his level. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Yeah, exactly. I don't think she even realizes the mistake of. She would still say that same shit she, now that she said previously. I think you know what I mean. Like I don't know. I'm, I could be wrong because I haven't followed her closely. But well, she's, she's still waging an absolute, sand. absolute warfare campaign on Twitter. Uh, against... Yeah, but it's all about the trans stuff. She's probably still like all for open borders and feminism. And, yes, right? yes, of course. And that's why most people on the right see how one relates to the other. In her, you know, it's there's no causality there. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. You're right about that. But but still, I love to I love to see her get them riled up. Let me uh, read let me read this Wizards of the Coast thing because this has been going on. I actually did a long thread on Twitter about this, about how Dungeons and Dragons is like being completely co-opted. Oh shit, I missed it. I must, it I must was, look look for it. Sure. It, it's gone it. now. It's gone now. Oh. Everything everything on Twitter's gone because I kept getting suspended. But let me just read this real quick to give you an idea. So this is the the like the CEO or the president of Wizards of the Coast. There's a controversy because you know, a controversy in scare quotes because they put out some sort of statement and a new a new expansion pack or something and it like wasn't inclusive enough and there was a big outcry from the from the from the the, the fan the supposed fans but they're really just the you know the hall monitors um who probably don't even play the fucking game and no. he says we are sorry we got it wrong our language and requirements in the draft OGL were disruptive to creators and not in support of our core goals of protecting and cultivating an inclusive play environment and limiting the OGL to TTRPGs blah 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 then we compounded things by being silent for too long we hurt fans and creators when open and clear communications could have prevented much of this now um, we hurt them. Oh, the poor little things. It gets even worse. L- l- listen to this. Ready? Thank you for caring enough to let us know what works and what doesn't. And here's the important part: what you need and what scares you, because they're shaking in their little britches. <sighs> Jesus. Uh, without knowing that, we can't do our part to make the new OGL match our principles. Finally, we'd appreciate the chance to make this right. We love D&D's devoted players and the creators who take them on so many incredible adventures. We won't let you down. Now, listen, this is like the neutered statement. He went even farther than this. He called out white men, hetero men, things like that. Yeah, that's what I saw. What did he say? Something like uh, whatever it was. It was like really... Yeah, something like yeah. We can't chase out white men fast enough, or something. Like that, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, the problem is, is I didn't plan to read the statement, and I can't find the direct written quote. The article I pulled up has a video of him. He he said it on video, like it like in communist Russia. It's like there's somebody behind the camera with a gun to his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, but yeah, the, it, I don't want to. I don't want to um, take any more time away from what we came to talk about but i wanted to just because you mentioned it i want to read I, that I, I did want to add one more one last yeah thing go, ahead, go it's ahead not, it's not it's not um you mentioned it that it's i mean it is because i am who i am right-wing content or whatever but there's nothing actually specifically right-wing about it other than it's unwoke anti-woke i'm i don't like the stories aren't all about right-wing stuff it's got nothing really yeah. to do with that it's still no, that's political uh, as well so that's i just wanted to add check, that. check out my episode called heavy metal culture it's me and mike uh me and mike uh, i don't know his last name mike from imperium press and dave martell and we talk explicitly about how you you don't need to to, to put explicit right-wing content 
into the art of for little boys and young men. You just need to make it about fucking going to war, battling people, uh, getting chicks and yeah. uh, pl playing heavy metal. That's all you have to do. You have to have, you know, yeah. uh, Conan at the end of the Conan the Barbarian, two stood against many. I mean, that's all yeah. people care about. And that natural, this, values. natural, natural values, values. Exactly right. OK, good. That was a good uh, I, I didn't feel like we pro properly shilled age on last time. Oh, thanks, so, thanks. so let's pick up the debate right where we left off. And if you don't mind, I'd like to make the opening statement. I know you're my guest and I hate to do that to you, but I, I got the feeling that that two things happened. One, we tried to cram way too much at the very, very end. So it wasn't being expressed uh, properly. And two, I, I w was very worried. I came away very worried that you had preconceived notions about what the supporters of uh, – abstract expressionism and and Gre clement greenberg uh art speak uh mm -hmm. you know postmodernism what they believe about art and and the value of abstract expressionism and i was very worried that you thought maybe i held those values which to be explicitly clear i certainly do not i think it's degenerate and i think it's not art my right. argument however is that I can understand the natural progression of how art went there. And then many factors came in and exacerbated it. So right. part of okay. my argument is that someone like Duchamp and Picasso perceive um, the condition of painting, particularly painting. I'm mostly talking about painting. They perceived right. the condition that painting had reached in the earliest early 20th century. And they saw that in order to evolve the form, every specific artistic medium is able to express something unique in relation to other mediums. So, for example, and it's very, very simple. We could get really complicated with this, but to keep it simple... Paint, uh, sculpture, for example, is better at depicting objects in reality than painting because sculpture is a depiction or a rendition of a three-dimensional object, okay? And we'll talk about the human form just to keep it simple and to keep it concise. So uh, a, a sculpture can sculpt a, a human form in its totality, in its three-dimensional totality. Whereas uh, painting has to find a way to compensate for not being able to express the human form in its totality because it's two-dimensional. So in order to express something, I don't want to say the same thing as sculpture, but in order to, to express uh, the human condition, to use a platitude, it has to find a way to compensate for not being three-dimensional that sculpture doesn't have to deal with, which is why the human form was depicted uh, more closer to its perfection or its reality long before painting was, because it's more intuitive to the medium, whereas painting has to work out perspective. Painting has to get the horizon line down and then put everything in perspective to the horizon line to make it proportional because proportion is key. And I said last time that in order to have a standard 
uh, in art, you have to you have to come up with something uh, that all art conforms to. You have to you have to have uh, a depiction of reality, and you have to have proportion. And proportion is in it's in servitude to the depiction of reality. You can't accurately protect, pre, uh, uh, portray reality without proportion. So to get the proportionality worked out in sculpture, uh, you you have to have it to the dimensions of a real person. So if you have a five, if you're sculpting a five foot seven person and you sculpt them five foot seven, you copy the um, proportions of the human being. But if you want to make a fifteen foot fall, tall statue, you can't do it correctly without keeping proportion in mind. The same thing with painting in that. In order to make it look realistic and to sort of create the optical illusion of three dimensionality to make it look more realistic, you have to get the proportion right in relation to the horizon line. OK, right. now this is all very simple. This is all very simple. I'm saying this in order to 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 make the argument that once you have this worked out, once you are able to sculpt the human form in uh, it's perfection. There is nothing else you can do with sculpture except adding fluidity, which is what they did in in uh, the Middle Ages. So if you look at something like the Dying Gaul or even the like the busts of Augustus. Um, and compare... well, that, that, that's before that's pre Middle Age. That's not Middle Age. No, no, I'm yeah. saying I'm saying I'm saying if you if you if you compare those things to something oh. like the Pieta. Or Bernini sculpture, uh, okay. fluidity is added, so it makes it even more realistic. But they they aren't the ones who like uh, perfected the human form in its dimensionality and its proportionality. So this is this is what I mean. Now, and of and of course, I just so everyone knows that you know there are sculptures, uh, Roman sculptures in the Met Museum in New York City that depict like veils, uh, like corpses wearing veils or women wearing veils. And there is an element of fluidity to it. But when you look at, at the Pieta, you just, you see that they kind of put the finishing touch or Bernini, they kind of put the finishing touches on that. Right. This is what I mean about adding versus evolving. Okay. Right. All they had all they could do in the middle ages was to like get back the skill of making a sculpture that depicts the human form on the level of the, of the, the, Hel the, the Hellenistic empire or the Hellenistic uh, culture, excuse me. And then they added to it by adding the fluidity. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Whereas, whereas, in early medieval, like like Renaissance, uh, excuse me, pre-Renaissance paintings, uh, mm -hmm. Bayou Tapestry, which isn't a painting, but a it's a depiction of reality. Um, yep. uh, but paintings of the Crusades and stuff, you see that the human figure is not proportional. It's not drawn right. correctly, right? And it's not correct to the horizon line. And this is like this is like one on one level stuff. I mean, I never went to art school and even I've had like courses on this. Like 
you compare a painting from say before like 1400 and the buildings, the sizes are wrong and the, and the, the position of the people are wrong because they don't have the horizon line worked out. So when I say evolving the form, I mean, over the centuries, as more and more people uh, accumulate, as the, the genre of painting accumulates more practitioners, they evolve the form to uh, work out the horizon line, work out the proportionality and make everything look three dimensionally correct uh, mm-hmm. on a two dimensional plane. That's what I mean by evolving the form. OK. Mm-hmm. And, and again, to reiterate my point, I'm, I'm getting close to the end here to let you come back in. To reiterate my point, um, once you have that worked out, once you have the horizon line correct, like with the Mona Lisa and things like that, um, all you can do is then add to the form. You can just make more paintings with the horizon perspective uh, technically correct, okay? Now, that's fine. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. So you have people with different skill and a different eye come in and they start uh making various depictions of reality that are correct that are proportionally correct right and that's how you flourish that's how a medium and a genre flourishes okay but but they are not evolving the form they're adding to the form which is fine which is fine however it's quite clear that artists don't want to just play around in the the water they don't want to just swim around aimlessly in the waters that other people have uh worked out okay so now if you take now here's one of the contentions you had that i think you thought we disagreed on but we don't i just don't think i made myself clear enough so i was talking about the depiction of reality and you were saying that photorealism is not the highest achievement in uh art in visual arts I agree with you 1000%. I mean, the Dutch still lifes are amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. But some people say, you know, well, that's actually not, you know, it's good as it, it, that's not the highest form because they're just copying. They're not adding an artistic flourish to it. So if you look at medieval painters like Hieronymus Bosch, um, Bernini, someone like Bernini, um, I, I I was thinking I had another example, but I forgot who it was now. But not Bernini, um, Botticelli, right? These yep. guys aren't just purely depicting reality as it exists in the world. They're they're doing something fantastic with it, and they're romanticizing it, right? This is this is wonderful. I think that's I think that's wonderful. I think that's what needs to be done. I think that's what a true artist does, and I do not think. Uh, comparing things to photorealism. I think photorealism is actually a sign, like if everything's becomes starts to become photorealistic, I think that's actually a sign that some 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 sort of spiritual uh um uh, spiritual like uh what's the word for here? Some spiritual background, some spiritual source of creativity has been drained and has kind of been it's kind of been like drained out and the creativity is gone and now all you can do is uh depict reality i think romanticism is extremely important and when you get into a a a stage of realism in any art form it's a sign of decadence it's a sign that like the creativity has totally evaporated from that form so now here here's what all this is leading to 
by the okay. by the time you get to Duchamp and Picasso, I believe they realize that they've gotten to a point where you've already passed through the 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 realism phase of painting and you're now in the impressionist phase where it's like reverting away from trying to depict reality as it stands into uh your impression of reality into all these different experiments they're just they're just experimenting but it's it's sort of uh an abstraction impressionism already is sort of an abstraction away from reality okay it's already imbuing the painting with the artist's particular vision um, to a point where it's already starting to become extract, abstracted, like pointillism and the way Renoir, who I love and I think his paintings are wonderful, but a lot instead of like painting something in its reality, there's just smears of paint and it sort of gives you the, the they're trying to do something different with the medium that the medium isn't really intended to do. They're trying to like evoke movement they're trying to evoke fluidity, but our uh, painting is a static art form. So I think these guys realized that painting is kind of like run out of steam and that several things that were happening at their time were coming in to like supersede and obviate painting and painting was going to become obsolete in the face of things like uh, a mass reproduction of commodities, which which applies to Duchamp. And in the face of things like uh, photography and film, as applies to Picasso. So the reason why Duchamp was making uh, these ready-mades is he was making a statement. And I agree with you. It's not beautiful, transcendent, rapturous art. It's just junk. thrown. It's literally junk thrown together and put in a, in a, in a museum. I'm not refuting that. But I think he's just trying to make a comment or a statement of the condition of art in an age of mass reproduction of commodities, that the commodity is going to uh, desacralize the work of art and the commodity is going to supersede the work of art as an object of reification. This is obviously a communist Marxist thing. I mean, Marx says these, that, that what I just said is basically in Marx, okay? And then the la- and then look, this is the last point I'll make and I really can't wait to hear uh, your rejoinder. Thank, okay. thank you for allowing me to, to do this, to air this out. All right. Uh, Picasso was very concerned with the fourth dimension because painting had already accomplished depicting the third dimension in uh, the medium of two dimensions. It's a two-dimensional medium, and painters had figured out how to depict the third dimension correctly, proportionally correctly. And then, so that took centuries of of hard focused dedicated work i mean michelangelo went blind doing this right yep photography comes along film comes along and it just immediately depicts it effortlessly and you could reproduce it infinitely you can reproduce the depiction of reality in its three-dimensional correctness with no real artistic effort you just had to have you just had to point the camera and click so it was like superseding painting as of as the 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 medium of choice to depict three dimensions in a two dimensional surface, right? So he said painting. This is how cubism started. This is why cubism is what it is. He was reacting to that. That's why he switched 
from painting realistic looking things to unrealistic looking things because he was trying to bring in the fourth dimension to evolve painting to the next level. But it was a failure. And the reason was it was failure is not because Picasso sucks and not because Picasso doesn't have talent or skill. The reason it was a failure is because you can't do that with the medium. What you can do with the medium had already been done. So now in the time of uh, the age of mechanical reproduction, to quote Walter Benjamin's uh, famous and highly recommended essay. Now, he was a communist. There's a lot of bullshit in that essay, but he gets a lot right, too, about what I was saying about Duchamp and the reproduction of commodities superseding art. Um, the only thing you can do is play around in the already worked out genre, which according to Spengler means that the, the, the medium has expressed everything it has to express. The medium as a, as an evolving form has closed now and it's over and it's now in its decadent state. And when a medium is in its decadent state, the only thing you can do with it is like alter the appearance you can't evolve it or you can add to it in the cumulative sense. You can accumulate more and more paintings and drawings uh, in three dimensional correct space, but you're not evolving the form. That's what Picasso was trying to do. And okay. that's where I stand on all this. So you have as much time as you want now to, to come back. OK, well, let me just say this in the uh, most amiable and friendly way possible. But I disagree with just about everything you said. Or I think you're right in a certain sense about just about everything. It's not the full picture according to how I would say. So let me just start off. First of all, I would say just on your last point there, Spengler would not say the medium has played itself out. He would say the civilization has played itself out. He would say. No, no, no. I disagree with that. He says that the medium has as it it is expressed. The medium has something inherent within it that it it is meant to express. Well, it finds its expression. Go back and quote him on that. But no, I'm pretty sure he what he means is that the idea and the morality and the purpose of the civilization is ending. Not that because Romans had painting and as did the Chinese, the Japanese. You know what I mean? Like the medium doesn't play as uh, later civilization, medieval painting, Renaissance painting. These are different versions of the same medium. Like, you know what I mean? Would that play out that live and die in their own Spenglerian arc? Yeah, but, so the, but, the but only the, the but only the Faustian can can according to him, only the Faustian can uh, use can can have the medium express itself to its truest, highest potential. Yeah, but it needs yeah, it needs that purpose that drives. Whereas the, whereas the Apollonian Greeks, the the medium of sculpture can express itself to its highest potential in that culture. He says for the Chinese, it's the garden, the 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 yeah, man, the well manicured. It's not like painting or sculpture or architecture just dies in in, in its entirety. So the medium itself is not played out. It's right. that. Well, I won't interrupt culture. you again. I won't interrupt you again. Okay. So I would say in in terms of Spencer, it was just the culture that played out. So where to begin now? Let me think of everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of talk of painting and perspective and the Middle Ages, the Bayou Tapestry, etc. So you can see ancient classical paintings, um, even Greek frescoes and things. And they had all those in their own style, again, a unique style, but they had perspective. They had everything that had to be relearned with the Renaissance. Um, they had it once upon a time. So it was not that... Uh, as in the learning of painting is 
as a craft pure in the craft terms, which is what it is and what it means, almost wholly. You don't need the, the idea that it's something beyond that, as in that a person who makes a chair out of sticks is equally an artist. In my mind, as any top painter, just the top painter's level of skill is that much farther. But they um, they knew uh, the science of painting, and so it did not play out and die with them. It came back and resurfaced. So that would be evidence that it's not like that the perfecting the science of it somehow leads to its destruction. It's just more, more a matter of different styles for different epochs, different civilizations. Uh, let me think now, what were you saying? There's so much my head is like spinning here. Hold on, let me think. What Sorry, I, I can help. I can help uh, be a landmark. Oh, for yeah, you. I know that if I if I get totally lost. But um, so the painting at its oh, yeah, the science of painting is actually okay. This was your premise from the start. You went out about with sculpture, right? I don't agree with anything you were saying about that. Proportion is an element of the science of sculpture, but a true artistic. Fine art sculpture is something, this is something you have to be an artist who have tried the medium and studied it to a high degree to understand is the variety and level of craft and science and uh, things involved in doing it at, at, that, at that proper level. There's so many different things. So proportion comes into it. There's also, but there's so many other things like a good sculpture. If, if, if what you're saying is true and that realism is the ultimate point and goal in a way, of that they've perfected the realism of it you know that's not what makes hellenic sculpture good it's not real it's not there is in painting and sculpture you do have to perfect the the train your eye and get it as realistic as possible but there's another stage well beyond that that you have to imbue it with principles of the golden ratio principles of your own personality and your culture and your myth but in the greek and in, in hellenic sculpture there was all those things there was a religiosity of trying to make it into uh godlike but there was also like in in that sculpture it's not real it's beyond real even in the way they portray the weight and the poses and the gait and the volume everything is unreal and it's beyond and that's why you cannot compare a modern hellenic what you what you might call realistic i, I don't like the term realist sculpture to a, to or you compare a modern realist sculpture to a hellenic there's no comparison there's a magic in the hellenic they've gone beyond considerations of being realistic and it's not really that important ultimately i mean it is important to have the skills to be realistic but and the same goes for painting so what you're saying was painting is wrong in my opinion the ultimate craft of painting is to portray it's almost even harder than sculpture because you are not only not only portraying it you don't show all the angles but you're creating an illusion you are creating a three-dimensional illusion every painting is its own world of color and light and in, the, in terms of its realisticness, you, the closer you are to grasping and portraying that from, you know, getting all the light and the shadow and the weight of the object and everything, everything that goes into that is, it's, all, it's often even beyond sculpture in my, in my view. It's not just a simple matter of this is 2D, that's 3D, this has proportion. This is, this is more of an ultimate example. I wouldn't agree with that at all. Um, they're both equal in their own way, but in both senses, they're not in any way perfected by re re the realisticness or the capturing of what you see is a big part of it, but there's so much more to it to get it right and to have it, to have it with the proper magic. This stuff that is almost completely lost now because everyone thinks, okay, it's either abstract and it's just me self-expressing or it's going to be a realist and I'm going to make it as realist as possible, but they don't consider these other factors this the magical factors <laughs> that add and that's why we have nothing resembling hellenic sculpture so let's see here 
let me try to think now of everything you said in light of that, <laughs> that early disagreement with what you were saying. Uh, so proportion, even, even the example of Dutch masters, you said, I don't agree with that either because that's not photorealism. Photorealism today is literally like making a painting look like a photograph. And it's got, see, this is the other thing. When you do, when you perfect what you were calling realism in painting or in sculpture, um, when you don't work from photographs and things without any aid, you always get the uh, personal personality and character of the artist into the into the piece. It's their version of what they see. You know, it may be as what you might say accurate accurately as possible in various ways, but it'll always be have a personality in it. When if you look at a Dutch painting of a still life, it's well beyond anything any photorealist person could do because it has a life and a glowing magic and a painterliness and a skill there that's well beyond um, just training the eye and, and, and perfecting it. There's a wealth of tradition handed down from master to master in giving it a sort of glowing otherworldly magic. You know, you cannot say, I forget the names of some of these guys. Obviously Rembrandt's the easy one to grab, but you know, they're famous for the still lights, but if you look at them, if you go see them for real and up close, you know, there's no comparison. This is, so, and that also plays into the idea of the fact that that has such obvious magical value that anyone can see objectively and only an idiot would say, oh, this is trash. That has, uh, right there, it goes against your argument that painting is played out and no longer has value in the modern world is as anybody would want that and hang it on their wall. So it's hard to say it's for sure something that played out and died. Um, let's see, now let me think. So that's, you said some other stuff. I don't agree with and regarding that. I'd have to, maybe it'll come back to me. So yeah, in terms of painting perspective, realism and painting, let me think, what were you saying? You said at one point that realism equals decadence. I don't agree with that exactly, like as a broad statement. Um, in terms of Picasso, Picasso's early paintings were adequate. They were good in that for his time, not bad. But they were not overly memorable, really. There was nothing he only he didn't have a certain level of that magic I'm speaking of. He had the power to translate realistically what he was wanted to get on the canvas, but he would have been forgotten and nobody, and he knew that. So to say, how can I say this now? So if you see my premise in my book was that I look around at the world of art today, and like most people, I say, okay, this is garbage, this is hopeless, how could it be so stupid? What is the source? You trace the source back to where it began. It begins with these characters, Picasso, Duchamp, and these people. And really, I trace it back really to Greenberg, who invented the language, which uh, explains and gives them all credence. You, you seem to think Picasso was a naturally occurring phenomenon, and this was all inevitable. When well, I was saying, at no. the beginning, at the beginning. Right. But then and, It then got exacerbated by suits like... Uh, What's her name? I, I, would say, I would say he has no value at all, and he never was of anything of any uh, noteworthiness or value. And his ideas, the fourth dimension thing is just a stupid gimmick. And it doesn't really... See, in terms of painting, it's, it's a twofold thing. When you, when you get into the Greenbergian world of painting, where it must be, let's say, painting became so excellent that the art criticism was able to take off and go into its own world and vanish up its own ass of like explaining what is essentially a craft taken to its most fine form and saying it must have ideas, both sort of political and profound, uh, you know, that are gleaned from it so that 
it's more important that there's an idea in a painting other than the painting just being what it is on the face of it. And this leads into this world where, uh, where they're desperate for newness. Like there's a, there's a good example, there's a good, there was a good documentary about a Polish painter. He was famous for being sort of a pseudo fascist, um, what's his name? Zakowski. Do you know this guy? He was a- I'm aware of a, a couple. Right. Polish so he was, painters, class, yeah. there's a good documentary about him, it showed, because he was one of the last people to get the proper academic tradition painting. And they understood well, like you say, that art must evolve and change, but okay. they're, their, their, their ethos was you have to have that element of tradition in it and you must carry on in whatever way you do change and expand, it must have a link to the past. So like it, painting is further complicated by, as you say, the creation of photography, et cetera. And that's a whole sort of other issue, whether or not painting has any value and has died for technological reasons, that's really just something else. And I don't think, it's hard to say if it has or not, but this is a part from what I, if you're tracing back what has happened to art, I can trace it to this fraud, this fraudulent thought, this way of thinking. And if you're gonna go along with it, and you know, you're really, I think going along with a scam, a very obvious scam in the same sense that I wouldn't give uh, Picasso any more credence just because he came along with something new, then I would say Bruce Jenner has any credence for coming along with Popular, popularizing transgenderism, you know what I mean? Like someone has come up with a scam and a lot of invented uh, form of speech, which sort of excuses it. And then everyone thinks, oh, this is inevitable. It was bound to happen. You know, there's no escaping it. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. Especially I, I, when- Sorry, oh, go, go ahead. No, 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 I'm not gonna interrupt, I'm sorry. Uh, and Picasso was an avowed communist as well. And, you know, he's politically speaking, but I, I just saw, see him as absolutely a, a guy who saw a scam coming along and saw a way to po be popular. And he jumped on that bandwagon. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say there's any, there's, there's only genius in it if you want to believe that the essence of painting is not the actual painting itself, but some sort of uh, hidden message it implies. And that's absolutely, it's more or less total purpose because it has to be, if you're going to sit around and stare at like kitty squiggles and uh, unpainted canvases is a popular one, like uh, Rauschenberg, Rauschenberg, where he would just present a white canvas and it would sell for like millions, you know? So there's a level of, uh, you have to be both ironic and those, the ethos of Greenberg is to do away with tradition. So when you're saying that we need a newness, when we need innovation in painting, that's fine. You do need change. And Zakowski would understand, Zakowski would take, would take his skills. I, I still hate this term realism, what we call traditional painting drawing skills and sculpting, as he, you know, in the old academic method, he would learn all these things. And his idea was to sort of, what did he do? He mixed it with like Aztec style, he missed Aztec art style with, um, I suppose almost like a pseudo, uh, like fascist Mussolini era kind of sculptural style. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it had a link with tradition. You can see it in it. You can see the genius of that. He wasn't just completely outside it. People like Duchamp, all they do is, like show you their ass. They stick they stick their noses up at everything that came in the past and said, "Look, I'm the new way," and you're supposed to go along with it. It's just, but it's trash. And if you're wondering what happened to the why art today is trash everywhere you look, it's because of that attitude and going along and agreeing with him. Oh, he did something new. Oh, he's a courageous rebel. Isn't this great, right? So there's a few things that complicate all this. In that, if we're going to talk about painting, the 
the idea that technology has done away with the purpose of painting, you can make an argument about that. But that, like I said, that's like a separate thing we have to look at differently. There's a Spenglerian idea that we can't go back and see. And when you say that nothing further happened, that Duchamp, et cetera, are the inheritors of painting, I would say that no. I said this last time too, and it's easily the pulp painters like Frazetta, even like the, 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 the they're not as well celebrated. They had great skill, like the sci-fi um, covers and the fantasy covers of the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, they don't get enough credit, those guys. A really excellent, imaginative, uh, unique style. And uh, in many ways, to me, the inheritors of like the likes of N.C. Wyeth and, uh, and those guys, like sort of, uh, you know, that's evidence, even though they don't get paid much, they don't get celebrated as fine art. Uh, and whatever they are, it's more linked to a tradition, to a proper tradition in painting, certainly than what we, you know, your contemporary gallery and you go and see a painting by who was around these days. I don't even know. What's that guy? You know, what's that idiot graffiti artist or one of those? I can't even remember their names. They're so forgettable. The I, guy assume, with the, I assume you mean Banksy. Banksy and those guys. Yeah, right. Okay. So they are much more deserving of merit than anybody around now or anybody who's an inheritor of the tradition of Duchamp or Picasso. Um, so what else did you say? So yeah, I think the fourth dimensional thing is bunk. It's just like a silly, it's a Greenbergian elevated term for something like, oh, I've got this new thing. And you know, it's fine if you want to go into that world. But again, you've got to ask yourself, where did this, where did our shambolic current art world come from and where did it begin? That's where it begins. Well, well, I got to make it clear. First of all, I agree with almost everything you're saying. Um, and oh. the thing that I wanted you to come back, the reason I wanted you to come back and finish this discussion with me is because it's frustrating it for me to think that you think I am discounting the work of somebody like Frazetta or any of these any of these um, Art Nouveau the Art Nouveau movement or uh, I don't remember what the name of that uh, that's it's like this very magical looking the light is very soft this this movement in painting there was an American painter who's very famous he would paint like pictures of little girls in magical wonderlands of, of, of these bucolic scenes where they're on like a swing. Uh, I'm I can't remember his name. I'll have to look him up. Uh, 20th century painting uh, is, is wonderful and amazing. Edward Hopper, Salvador Dali, um, many others. I think they're great. I've even, I've even seen Pollock's in real life. And I think there's something going on there. Uh, Well, there is, I can tell you what's going on. He's a, that's this. See, this is another example in painting. This is another. This is a good example. Let me just say here, because in painting, okay, you've got your realistic scene, you've got your illusion in two dimensional of a three dimensional thing. You've got your light, your shadows, your color. You've got your. If it's really proper, you have some sort of imbued spirit of mythology from your own culture as well. Which you're, you know, there's so many factors. But one of the factors, one of the major factors that people people who don't paint have no clue of, is in your composition. You must have you must arrange your lights and darks in such a way that it is overall pleasing to the eye. This is done again, sort of mathematically, again with the golden ratio. And before you've even you've drawn out your scene, you sketched out what you're going to do. You have to position your lights and darks in a way that the eye carries across the canvas in this sort of pleasing way that says to you, "Ah, yes, this is perfect." Now, this is one of the hardest tricks for a painter to master and get because you can paint down to the finest detail in the greatest skill, but you get this wrong and it won't look good. So uh, the one thing I think Picasso, uh, what's his name, Pollock was doing somehow was when he was throwing his random, if you're watching painting, he literally just throws random splatters. He grabs two paintbrushes and flicks his paint 
the, the great genius, you know, there's no genius when you do something like that. They're happy. Like it's against all the laws of reason. Yeah. 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 But he did manage to arrange his splatters maybe on some of them. This is my, my theory for when people say this in, in that pleasing light to dark fashion. So he used one of the many, again, there's a huge retinue of skills and talents that go into any painting or any sculpture to do it properly. And, and immense that people don't realize unless they've really studied it. Um, so that's just a good example of that. Well, but I probably shouldn't even have thrown him in there because I'm talking about people with more redeeming uh, qualities than him. Um, but but my point is, is that I'm not like, I think that's better. I think those people, the people you're talking about are better than Picasso and Duchamp I, and they have more value. And I don't think painting is dead in the modern world in the sense that people can't appreciate it. And I think people should keep painting. Um so I'm not making the argument in favor of abstract expressionism. And the, I really like the thing you said about how there's this like secret meaning hidden in the work. And that's more important than the actual work itself. I, I agree with you. And I think that uh, Duchamp and uh, Picasso are definitely. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't be maybe maybe Duchamp is a scam artist. Um, but but I think he's definitely turning his nose up at the art world and the critic world. I mean, I think he put a urinal in a gallery to say to like piss on the art world. That's what I see that as. And then there's another there's a ready made he has with a, a snow shovel hanging over, you know, the piece of art. And to me, it looks like a sort of Damocles or a guillotine about to fall down. And it's like the commodity is uh and this this all sounds very marxist i know but i think this is what duchamp is doing i mean i don't have a marxist read on art i think well whenever uh, whatever he is i remember I, we talked about this last time and maybe i don't know if you tried to look for examples but i when i saw him on a being interviewed on tv and uh, more than once i think extreme with extreme confidence and seriousness saying that he could paint like an impressionist from the age of when he yeah, was a teenager yeah yeah and like I, I there's no evidence for this at all so like someone's like outright yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, you you cut out when you said that Duchamp claims to be a uh, good impressionist painter, but you think he's lying. Which I said in the last episode that I was under the impression that it was true prior to reading your book and talking to you, and I now realize uh, you made me see actually that it, he was probably lying because there is no evidence of it. Mm. Yeah. But oh, and the, by the way, the painter I was talking about before about the bucolic magical scenes was Maxfield Parrish. Oh, yes. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how he's considered by like, you know, the, the hoi polloi, but I think he's great. So I'm not arguing that guys like him are bad and that their art isn't pleasing to look at and that it doesn't have value and it well, doesn't. He's of the school of that NCYS and those guys of early American essentially they had got labeled as illustrators because at that point uh, they were the guys still working in the fine and proper traditional style while the likes of, of Pollock and um, Duchamp and Picasso were being the big heroes. So they got relegated to illustration generally Parrish and uh, those guys. And yeah, they didn't it's... get, didn't get the fine art. I'm not, they're not, they're not, they didn't get the credit as a fine artist and uh, you know, all the money and everything. So, well, I'm glad you, you mentioned Wyeth because, uh, I wanted to mention him as well uh, because he's one of the guys, I guess, you know, if you go to uh, the Met, his painting of the, the woman in the, in the field, the crippled woman in the field with the house on the hill, you know what I'm talking about? What is that called? Yep. Oh, I don't remember what it's called, but yeah. Well, know. that's hanging in the Met and it's, it's really, 
something. It's a it's a painting that I had a a visceral a positive visceral experience being in the presence of because that's how I that's how I like break it down for myself. How did I feel when I was standing there in front of the painting? Was I moved? Did I feel nothing? And I said this last time when I was in front of Picasso, I was either repulsed or I felt nothing. So, so uh, yeah, Wyeth and, and yeah, Parrish. You were defending him as a genius. Uh, well, not as a genius. No, I wasn't a, defending um... him. I was saying he was called a genius, and this is why. I was explaining why. Oh, I don't okay. agree with it. Oh, okay. All I'm saying, oh, this is another thing about why I'm frustrated about our argument, or I was before, and why I wanted to follow up. Because I think for me to speak about these guys with any redeeming value gives you the impression that I'm like taken in by their scam. Oh, by no, what I you scam. No, I don't think that. No, okay. but I do All think right, good. I wanted to make yeah, sure. I do think you were mistaken about several points in your opening sort of monologue thing. And that's fine. And I just think it's mostly that you were not so much you were mistaken as you're talking about attributes of the art. <laughs> Which are true, but don't have the full, complete picture of painting or sculpture, basically. Well, this and is, this is why I have a podcast because I need someone like you to come in and sort of add that artist's perspective, uh, and you, and you have a perspective of both an artist, a practicing artist, yeah. which you are. Well, if I'm, people don't I'm know not, that, yeah, yeah, but I mean, still, you, your yeah. YouTube. I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I do my covers. I do the covers on Ageon and some of the pictures and. Yeah, I'm not, I'm pretty good as an illustrator, and uh, you know, in the modern world, I'd be pretty good. I think I'm not, I'm not bad. Yeah, but not but I'm bad. not, I'm not a visual artist of any 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 sort, and uh, and you also have the the formal education in art. I mean, you went to art school, correct? But that was a hundred percent waste of time. Uh, anything anything real I learned about art, it was on my own time. Yeah, but it's clear really though. Oh, okay, perhaps perhaps so. I was going to say it's clear though that just to juxtapose what i said to what you said it's very clear to me that i'm coming from you know uh because my my thing i write i'm a writer i mean i'm not a writer but if there's anything any practice that i do it's writing um and everything i've picked up about other art forms is from reading literary criticism that talks about other art forms in comparison and contradistinction to literature uh, whereas, but, but, and I've also, you know, gone to some of these museums and, yeah. and seen this artwork. So, uh, but I'm, I'm certainly coming from a more literary, uh, and as well as theoretical position, whereas right. you are clearly by the, just, just by the things you've said is a less theoretical, uh, position that you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, I had aspirations to be like a classical painter at one point, for sure. And even some sculpture I did, too. So I learned, I like, this is the thing. People don't understand the level of work and things you have to study to do it remotely properly, to even follow, begin to follow in their footsteps, which was formerly um, contained and supported and continued genealogically through systems of teaching, uh, formerly the guilds, even proper art school, education, classical, once existed, all that's gone. It's subverted and destroyed. You go in now, like right. I said, I went to art. You learn just, okay, you can like, you know, take a shit on the canvas if you like, as long as it has some political message. You know, it, you cannot, these two worlds are in opposition. The current definition and understanding of art versus the traditional art. The current one is in constant permanent rebellion, in fact. And this explains, so it explains everything. People don't, people don't understand how much Greenberg is uh, a part of even 
like the architecture things become very popular. People complaining about these box box houses going up everywhere, but like they don't understand, I don't think, how much that really just is also derives from Greenberg ultimately, that people are being paid to design these things. These these uh they they all look the same. It's either some just silly glass box or some like monstrous obtuse shape with glass. And uh, you know, they they're actually they have an ethos to an attitude to art that derives from essentially being anything but traditional and that you must to be new and to be you know, modern people, we cannot have, we must, everything starts around the era of Greenberg. To go back any further, to draw anything from that really is um, whatever, against the law or racist or something, or I don't know, whatever. Like, <laughs> you can't do it, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 no, I got you, I got you. Um, that's, the essence, that's the essence of our contemporary art belief and understanding. And even now, and like, it seems hard for people to understand, I guess, when they're raised, because even, I think I was saying last time, I get... I talk to people, I know artists, I get submissions, and they still kind of, uh, you know, they believe their painting is good because they've, oh, look at this. I've inserted a picture of myself in the back end over here, and this is symbolic of the time that I, you know, I, you know, my parents died or something, like, you know, and all this kind of thing. <laughs> like, well, that's fine, but you're still doing, even though you're trying to be, and, and again, like you were saying earlier, they think it's all about realism and being realistic, but that's not, that's only a part of it. You have to have that realist skill, but then you, there's so much more on top of it. And again, like why, like, again, I, 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 everybody listening to this, I would ask you to ponder and study and think about what is the real, go and look at a real Greek sculpture, uh, Praxiteles or one of these, and then look at a modern sculpture. Even look at a, even a Renaissance sculpture by the likes of Michelangelo does not compare ultimately to the archaic feeling of perfection you find in, in a, a true Hellenic Eve or a Roman copy of a Hellenic sculpture. So there's something there uh beyond the obvious and realism is not good enough and so there you're are basically deeper... making my argument for me right there well <laughs> well no because you were saying that realism was the ultimate and once you reach realism you reach you're into decadence but no realism is just that a skill of any artist from any age no, I, I and, mean... like, if you look at it's not exactly oh, what i meant but go on oh. yeah but but like so the fact that there was there was high skill in painting that was lost over the dark ages, for instance. And in fact, right around the turn, when when the Roman, I don't want to be anti-Christian here or anything, but when the Roman uh, empire was Christianized, all of a sudden the sculpture went to shit and just started to look terrible for <laughs> maybe because they were starting to get those uh, icon iconoclastic values or something. I'm not sure why, but like they suddenly lost the ability to perfect it and do it to the high degree. And that's that high degree of art is an indication of a high culture. It seems to be right and a thousand it's not, percent it's, agreed it's not it's not to do with realism and you can it, it what is it's more to do with having a style say uh, that's why i think art deco was one of the last legitimate movements because it had those values but it had a really intense style which you can do but then what we the trap we fallen into now was another thing you said which was to say oh we need picasso duchamp or they should be they should get some some praise for um, being innovative in the in the medium, but you know, there's another. The other issue is this: we now nowadays we have this kind of materialist American idea of the new trend, the new thing. It's got to be now, and it's not. It's, again, it's sort of divorced from anything in the past. So, even in painting or any kind of art, it's like, oh, look at this new thing. We're going to do this now, and like you just sort of jump from thing to thing. And you know, you you have to compare it or think about the ancient. If you get into a true classical mindset. 
there is innovation and change, but it doesn't happen in the way you think, or it happens more slowly and with greater consideration. So you look like the long epochs of Egypt, I always think of, and the art style of Egypt, which was fantastic, stylized, uh, unique, and unchanging for thousands of years, like sort of changed a little bit. But, you know, there was a longevity in sticking to their principles. And you might say the Greek and the Roman too. You know, there was plenty of room for creative creativity and change and everything they were doing, but they stuck to certain principles all, always. I need to make two things very clear for anybody who's stuck with us all through last episode in this one, because I got a lot of feedback. I got perhaps more feedback on our episode than any ever. People really like this conversation. Well, um, what were they saying? Were they disagreeing or? Uh, the, all, I got lots of different feedback, but one of the things I got that's relevant to what you were just saying, is, well, to what you said earlier, is that um, I... Some people got the impression that I was making the argument that painting is dead. I don't think that. I think it has value. I think it will always have value. And I think it will never truly die. Well, I see, was... that I, I disagree again because I'm not so sure it hasn't died. <laughs> At least no, in the... as a movement, maybe. But like anyone can go out and be a painter. And if you get a thousand people painting and you look through the thousand paintings, you're going to find a couple that like, oh, this is good. This is pleasing. This is nice. It's not it's not historical necessarily. It's not going to have a major cultural impact. But painting will never die in the sense that uh, as long as people keep painting. But that but that wasn't my argument at all. My argument right. is that the 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 medium has expressed itself to its highest potential and that all you can do is work at that highest potential. I think Spengler may even use the word plateau. Like you get to the apex and then you stop going up and you just plateau. Well, that's that now, was the crux. That was the crux the idea in my book, though. But is Spengler for sure 100 percent correct? Is well, the other they, now you can argue. You can argue that. But but let is me we're running problem, out of, right? we're running no, out sorry. of time. No, it's OK. OK. Let me just make this last statement. And then I just want to throw a couple of random questions at you, if that's OK. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. You You said, like, I think you think maybe that I think. Duchamp and Picasso deserve praise. I don't think they. Deserve oh no 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 no! I just mean that you were no. I, I, I that was the wrong word. I mean okay. just like you were you were quasi defending them. Let's say right. You had to sort of stand. Uh, you wanted to. I, I'm not, not defending, defending them and their craft. I'm saying I'm that saying why they were effective and what. To what under, how we, well, to, no, not not effective, but to understand the sweep of Western art and how we got to the condition that we're in now. Mm -hmm. I don't think. You can just throw them out as garbage, even though they don't look good. I think you have to understand what was going on at the time, because there's even more factors than what I'm talking about. Like the whole impressionist movement was like lots of, you know, suits being thrown into a school where everybody was learning how to paint. And they were like churning out like a factory, which, you know, you could flash forward to Andy Warhol and his factory and what he was doing. Um well, impressionists were good though. They didn't have the ethos of Green. It boils down to Greenberg for me, and anything. Yeah, anything and I and I get that. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. So look, we're I'm I'm like almost done. I I almost have to okay. go. So can I just throw a couple things at you, unrelated? Sure. What, what do you think about the? Okay, two guys I want to talk about, and you know what? I won't even ask you a question. I'm just going to throw their names out, and I want you to comment. Uh, two examples of people that I love that I think are great are H.R. Geiger and Francis Bacon. 
Um, and I think Francis Bacon and his portraiture with the obscured faces needs to be in the same conversation with Duchamp and Picasso, but I'll leave that for another time. I just want you to talk about those two guys and anybody else that comes to mind when, when you think about those two. What do you think about their art? Well, Geiger was great. I wouldn't have a lot of time for Bacon, frankly. Um, he had certain skills. He was good at being like sort of creepy, abstractly creepy, but he was a creep as well in real life. So there's nothing admirable about that guy. And um, very much working in the postmodern sense, trying to be a postmodern gimmick guy. Um, yeah, I don't rate him very high, even though you can say he was his paintings were impactfully, impactfully ugly and sort of, you might say, memorable, more memorable than a lot of than uh, a lot of the um, abstract guys. I don't what's what I'm not even sure what is he would he call himself an expressionist? Yeah, um, I actually don't know. Surrealist, I guess, is the only thing you can call him. I don't know if he's surrealist, maybe. Yeah, like some of those guys. See, there's all there's people that fall down the middle line, obviously, right? There's people that were good, like even um, what's his name, Sargent, one of the greatest portrait painters and like totally skilled traditional painter, he began to dabble in kind of a crude. I don't know if he calls it impressionism. It was just like like dabbing big gloves of paint and stuff, and it wasn't really that impressive. But like you know, so there's all kinds of middle ground. Once the John, John Singer uh, Sargent, yeah, okay. Yeah. Once the once the culture cultural takeover occurred, obviously there's people that are going to go along with this. Just just the same way we see the color uh, cultural revolutions today, also based on lies and just part of our an element of our dissipating society. Again, I can mention you know the gender stuff or you know any any of the stuff that's going on politically and uh, culturally. It's all sort of like you know you a, a big lie is injected and absorbed through the media, and um, all of a sudden, no matter how egregious and stupid it is. At least half the population believe it and go along with it because they're idiots. So you get <laughs> caught, you get caught in a trap, and even people who aren't idiots then kind of want to survive in that culture and sort of go along with it a little bit and go with the new things and everything. But you know, you the ability to recognize a lie and to run off with a new trend—that's what I was trying to say—is the American sense of the the new thing, the new innovation. You got to go with it, and you know, this is a loss of the classical ideal where everything was mixed together with your religion and your concept of who you are. So in a, in a true art sense, if you don't have, you have to be thinking of like your continuation of, a, of, a, of in a bloodline of a, of a thing. But we can't do that now. We're in a dissipating society. And you know, that's why you, that's why, in a sense, painting has died, in my opinion, because we're not in a society that is whole. And we can't at this point stop it from continuing to fracture. And we kind of we can work on art and try to create new art like I'm doing my age on and everyone's doing their bits. Um, but you know, it's going to be, there's going to be a greater fracturing and something new is going to form somehow probably through some kind of horrible disaster. And it, it may take a long, it may take a long time though. It I mean, I don't, a long time. I don't think we'll see it probably. No, no but then again, with painting, we could do a, several podcasts on just discussing is painting alive or dead. And I don't know what to say because there's the other factors with that, that um, like, first of all, Greenberg killed painting and sculpture and he's killed all of it, but in the terms, even of like, say, we're talking about the pulp painters, sci-fi painters, the likes of that. A lot of that was killed by the CGI and technology yeah. as well, kind of like lessened and cheapened all of that even more. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. We still haven't got to it, so maybe uh, we'll have you back <laughs> a third time. I mean, I'll have you back as many times as you'll come back. You were you were right. uh, well received by my audience. That, I, that's well, for sure. Thanks. thanks. Yeah, anytime you want. Yeah, we can talk about these things. Well, I, just for the listener, uh, me and you have been texting pretty regularly and extensively for months so this is finally i mean i think i think i reached out to you in september october 
uh, of of last year. So it's finally come come to to pass, and I, I'm really glad it did. Um, yeah. So anyway, go on if I haven't derailed you completely. No, no, no. I think I think that's it. Yeah, I don't remember what I was on about. <laughs> well, it sounds like it sounds like you, you know I'm not exactly prepared to make the definitive declarative statement that painting is dead. But if it is, it almost sounds like I am saying it like kind of exhausted itself. What, that, and that's, a, that's a yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. See, right. No, exactly right. I'm saying yeah. that my argument is kind of like that it exhausted itself. And yours is basically that it was murdered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. the difference between us. All right. So, uh, you know what? Maybe maybe if you don't mind, we can um we can end the discussion. Oh, did you have anything else to say about Geiger or No, he's great. Uh, I love Geiger and uh, a lot of those guys. See, a lot of those guys be more again relegated. Would see if you were to go into the art academies, the upper echelons, Geiger would be like, "Uh," and Bacon would be like, "Oh, great." You know what I mean? Like Geiger would be more of a pop artist because he worked on movies and things. Kind of thing. So, he's more our guy in that lowbrow Frazetta like it's not actually lowbrow. I hate to use that term, but you know what I mean. He's more. He's not as Bacon would be considered like royalty, and so I would I would feel the reverse of them. Where Bacon, you know, you can say he had certain skill, but he was a scumbag, and you know, fuck yeah. him. I think what you're and saying is is that great. is absolutely correct, and that's why I threw those two together. Oh, now yeah. I don't really want to get into Bacon's biography just because it's way too off the topic but there's two documentaries on youtube about him one of them is called something about violence uh the the art of violence or something like that and yeah he he was really fucked up (laughs) and he had a fucked up life and an interesting thing about bacon a really interesting thing about bacon he he probably deserves his own episode is that um he was in berlin at the height of its utter degeneracy and uh, you, you know what? You were saying some really awesome things on Twitter where you were comparing American Western decadence, um, American and Western European oh, yeah. decadence of now to Roman and Weimar decadence. Yeah. And you convinced me because because the little bit of studying I've done of Weimar, uh, I'm like, well, this is way worse than us because the, the economic crisis was like unlike anything I've ever seen in my life, A, and B, the degeneracy of Berlin at the time was uh, just flagrant, flagrant, open child uh, prostitution. Um, you, you could walk down, you could go, you could go get a child prostitute and take him into an alley just in the middle of the day and go, yeah. go on your way when you were done with them. So my first look at that was like, well, obviously they they f- were much farther down the degeneracy uh, continuum than we are. But then when I gave it a second thought and looked at your comments on it, one of the things about Weimar Germany is that A, it was pretty short-lived, and B, a lot of the degeneracy I read about was contained to the city of Berlin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm bringing this up because – People don't know this, but Bacon was there for about six months in like 1926 or 28, and it's really downplayed. But I think that's actually the key to understanding his whole thing. And that's an argument I'll make elsewhere. But um, why don't we end? I have to end the show. Yeah. Do you mind ending on some commentary? Because these tweets you were making, and while you're talking, I'll try to find your tweets and read them. These tweets you were making were like... Really good. Re- really, really, really good stuff about the degeneracy of Rome versus Weimar versus us now. So, yeah, no, sounds good.
So do you have anything to say uh, while I while I look for the tweets? Uh, no, thanks for having me on. It was good good to talk about these things. And um, I hope I mean you you're, you're open. You you spoke for a long time there. I probably missed a few things. I also disagree with. I would have liked to, uh, but I, I forgot them. But we can yeah we can do this anytime you want and uh, get into the nitpicky nitty gritty. All right. Of the well, whole business. Yeah, and I, I I appreciate you giving me the floor because you're my guest, and you know I'm here to showcase your thought. Uh, but I felt like I really wanted to like, kind of, pick up where we left off and make my case to it, at the very least show you that I'm not I I don't fall for these tricks. Oh, uh, I, one last thing. Yeah, uh, one last thing. You did mention fluidity in Bernini, and um, yes, that's true. But once again, I would say that was more of a style thing of the time. It wasn't like a, a meaningful, all-encompassing signal of a total change or anything like that. It was just like there's lots of like all European art was influenced by the Renaissance return and understanding of um, Greek uh, classical sculpture, et cetera. Right. And yeah, everything yeah, from there. Sure. We had many centuries of being inspired by that and variation on that and trying to copy it as closely as they could. And, you know, that never got tiresome. It's because it's beautiful. I mean, there's certain eras of the Rococo, et cetera, you can say were a bit, what's the word? You know, it's still beautiful. I, I wouldn't complain about it. I would rather live in a Rococo palace than a, you know, modern uh, glass box kind of thing. But uh, maybe it was, it needed change. Romanticism was a good change at the time. It was a good way to shake things up and, inject a bit of uh, gothic back into things. Um, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say, say that. Yeah, for that's sure. It. No, no, that's that's true. Um, and I'm going to... Uh, I, I lost my thought. I had a response to that, but I'm going oh, sorry, to... Sorry. I found your thread. I found your thread here. I have oh, I have okay. a few more minutes here. Okay. I'm going to read your thread, and then I'll I'll give you, if you want, to respond or add anything to it, the the, the last last word. Um, so here's the thread, okay. and it actually uh, you posted it like a week ago. It actually performed quite well. Um, now that I'm going back to it. So here's here's your thread. Yeah. People compare the modern West to Weimar and collapsing Rome, but it is far worse than both those things. Art. Okay. Yeah. Art. Romans, even at their most decadent, did not stand around conceptualizing installation and inst installations, intellectualizing and paying millions for an empty room, a blank canvas, arranged mannequins, or giant replica turds. Weimar began such dabbling, but did not take it to our decadence long, decades long extent. We have decades now, three quarters of a century of this meaninglessness being our concept of art. Romans did not blight their landscape with intentionally ugly buildings spreading urban cancer across the land. Weimar, again, might have liked to, but didn't reach our level of retarded. <laughs> <laughs> there is much talk of dying Rome being equal to us in feminism. This is absurd, comparing their laxed female freedoms to our decades-long self-implosion in marriage and birth rates, pushing women into every office and high office while attacking the concept of gender itself. At no point was there a female Roman emperor, a Roman general, openly wearing women's clothing. They did not rewrite their history or myths, swapping males with females, nor did they have our level of destructive technology, which doubles our dangerousness and evil. While all this is occurring, there is unheard of levels of brainwashing. A majority of the mob, 
or in parentheses, normals, quote unquote, have no clue at all that we are in such a state exceeding that of Romans of Roman end days. And even many who do know think we are not to their level when we are off the charts. People compare the Weimar sexual freedoms to now. While they may have begun the first sex chain clinics, change clinics, etc., they didn't get as far with it. We have officially made the West an unsafe place for children. Parents today worry about the state destroying their kids more than anything. Uh, and then the, that's the end of the thread. But uh, someone commented, in terms of degree of degeneration, yes, but the parallels are clearly there. How will this manifest? How this all manifests is what's interesting. We are in a new sort of political age, not ex-military meeting in beer halls, which he's t- talking about the Nazis. And then you respond, there are closer parallels with Weimar, but people who say this all happened before are not quite right. We are at unprecedented levels of weakness and irrationality. This is a great thread. I'm actually going to link this thread uh, in the in the in the podcast notes on my blog when I publish this, and I want to remind people that uh, your book, Decline of and Fall of Western Art, is one of the best books I've read on art history. Certainly, the book I would recommend people who want an introduction to art criticism and art history. Uh, quite a lot, Thanks. almost everything you've said on these two episodes is in that book so it's it's highly recommended and i'll link to that now um we can let the thread stand or i can let you have the last word if you want to add anything or reflect on the thread at all um no the only uh, i don't someone someone mentioned helio what's his name helio globus there was a roman emperor who apparently would dress as a woman and all this <laughs> and like this is their counter argument and i was like well that's fine but like you know the there's two things you can say about that that's like the decadence of the emperors themselves, you know, where, whereas we are going around teaching it in our schools to everybody kind of thing, you know, that's not the same level. Um, also, in fact, I don't believe, I believe I read in the, was it the forward to Tacitus, or I've seen it now a few times that it was a political attack to, for, from their enemies to associate an emperor with decadence. Sex- yeah, we're okay. We're having technical difficulties. Hopefully the listener can hear me. Um, I don't know what specific example he was given gonna give. He mentioned Oh, hey, you're, you're, you're cutting you're cutting out one again. Oh shit. Can you you hear me said now? Uh, oh. yeah, you said you said maybe in an intro to Tacitus you've read that uh attacking emperors as decadent is a way for their enemies or their political detractors to to tear them down. Right. So there's like the story of Tiberius was that he would swim in a swimming pool and little boys would nibble at his penis as he swam. And, you know, stories like this, like it's ludicrous. So I don't I tend to believe the stories of the emperor's sexual decadence is exaggerated and untrue as well. So that's my other counter argument to that little point. Ah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But that's um, that was the only truthful uh, counter i remember reading on the thread at the time so i thought i'd say that what there was something else i was going to say oh i wanted to also just say before you go that an audiobook form a version of decline in western art is almost done it's been like a year in the works and this guy's recorded it for me he's got a very very interesting <laughs> um how do i say he's got a like sort of uh interesting english accent and he speaks speaks the book in a kind of nice uh, hatred-filled way. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but it, it's perfect. It's very dramatic. Oh, and, it's perfect uh, and dramatic. 
good. That's yeah, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's coming out soon. Well, if I don't have you on again before this, I want you to come back when your next book comes out, which is going to be on religion. And I've spoken to you on religion, and I think you have it. I think you have one of the best perspectives on religion uh, I've seen. Oh, on thanks. The, on the right, so. So I have to go. I know you have more time, but I'm I'm done. Thank you so much for coming back. I do feel like the argument or the debate is now closed um, and we have better understanding of each other's positions. Um, and I hope the audience is just as, uh, you know, intrigued and excited about this discussion as they were the first one. Yeah, I think I think it was excellent. And thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Astral Flight Simulation signing off. <laughs>